Well, we're in a series where I'm inviting you to membership. So some of you, a lot of you, have been attending right now, and your relationship with the church is sort of ambiguous. And I would like to remove that ambiguity by inviting you to membership. And the way we're doing this, the way I've been doing this, is simply explaining what we believe and the convictions that flow out of those beliefs. Um, Specifically, what we believe that determines how our church lives and how our church is going to function in the future and how it functions now, even though it be a small scale. Um, so this is for this is for you. Um, who am I looking at? Chris? This is for you, Ben. This is for you, Alvarangas. Uh, you're already a member. <laughs> we got a. Yeah, I can't. I don't have my glasses on, so I can't see who's back there. But you know who you are, um, and I, in, it's in love that I that I invite you to membership because I think the body of Christ should be a united, close knit community that builds one another up with its gifts and um, and moves forward together as a unit. So, this is I'm inviting you to membership. Um, now, this is the fourth week. So I want to just run down a quick review of what we've said so far. First, we've said that our church is unified by the gospel. Um, This means that we are repentant people who place faith in Jesus Christ to be reconciled to God. And we believe that there is no other way in heaven on earth by which we must be saved. God has acted through Christ to reveal himself, to reconcile us to himself, and to rule and establish his kingdom. He's acted through Christ to do those things. And so what we're about in this church is not primarily, we are not primarily social advocates. We care about people in need and in hurt, and I want to help this family out that I just talked about, but we're not primarily social advocates, although we care for social needs. We are not primarily cultural critics, although we cared greatly and are concerned about what's happening in culture when it is in opposition to the gospel and to sound doctrine. Yes, we care about what's happening in politics, but we in this church are not about anxiously trying to get pagans voted into office, as I've said before. In this church, we are unified. The unifying principle of our church is that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, died for your sins, rose again, and is our Lord, and you must repent and believe and be an apprentice to him. That is what we're about. That's our unifying principle. In week two, we spoke about the fact that we are deliberately word-centered. Not just word-centered, but that we're deliberately word-centered. And this comes from our conviction that discipleship is more taught than caught. It's more taught than caught. And so... What we are doing in this church is developing intentional, structured ways of passing down truth 
structured ways of earnestly contending for the faith delivered to the saints. The children will be catechized and walk through the Bible. That's a great thing. Um, We are developing, what I'm doing on Wednesday night is I'm developing a systematic theology course which we we can roll out and continue to teach and I envision other courses as well such as biblical theology such as gospel theology such as merit biblical marriage and family and so teaching structured ways of delivering truth so that so that people even mature Christians can grow in this church we want we want spiritual infants in this church but we don't want them to remain spiritual infants. We want them to grow into maturity. And even when somebody is a mature Christian, they can not only participate in, in ministering, but they themselves can grow because of a rich doctrinal, biblical structures that we've set in place. That's the vision. Uh, last week, we talked about the fact that we are baptistic in our ecclesiology. This simply means, this simply means that we believe that one is saved through grace alone, by faith alone, by faith through grace. Um, And so since one is saved by faith alone, faith is the way one appropriates God's grace. That means that we believe faith is the way one enters into the new covenant community, the people of God. Therefore, when it comes to baptism, we believe that baptism should be reserved for those who make a credible profession of faith. It's not, and and the baptism issue is not just who should we baptize, it's much more than that. It's who is the church? The church are those. Who, who are united to Christ by faith. And inasmuch as baptism is a symbol of dying with Christ and raising with him, we believe that sign should be applied to those only for whom it is true. That is Baptist ecclesiology. Um, and even deeper than that is the heart to make a clear distinction between the church and the world. That's, that's really the heart of, of Baptist ecclesiology. We want to be very clear and make distinctions between who is the church and who is the world. The church are those who are, are regenerate by faith. The world are those who are not regenerate and those who do not have faith. So that's where we've been so far. Now something comes out of that, what I just said. The the distinction between the church and the world. This means that our church believes strongly in membership and church discipline. Because membership defines who the church is and church discipline protects who the church is. So I want to start off with a question. And I think today we're just going to hover around membership. I thought I'd, I'd like to get to church discipline, but there's just too much to cover there in one sermon. So I want to talk about membership today. When we talk about membership, we're really asking the question, who is Church of the Vine? Who is Church of the Vine? Who are we? 
Now we know, obviously, we know that the church is not a building. It's a people, right? The church is not a building. It's a people. God, his Holy, the Holy Spirit lives in people now. Um, so when we say church of the vine, though, we talk about this local church, this visible community. Who are we talking about? Who are the we of Church of the Vine? It is my firm conviction that the we of Church of the Vine is not anyone who happens to walk in the door. We want people to walk in the door, amen? But the we is not to be equated with those who happen to walk in the door on any given Sunday. The we of Church of the Vine must be a Christian, must be somebody who agrees with our statement of faith, must be somebody who has brought themselves under the oversight of the elders in a church, and must be somebody who is committed to serve this congregation. That's the we of a local church. They've, they're a Christian. They, uh, they agree with our statement of faith. They, ha- they bring themselves under the oversight of the leaders in that church, the elders in the church, and they're committed to serve the congregation. So a healthy local church is comprised not of people who happen to be there, but of people who are committed to be there. That is membership. That defines the we in Church of the Vine and any healthy church. That commitment that I'm talking about that defines membership is shown when somebody meets with a pastor and that pastor talks about their testimony, wants to know how they came to saving faith in Christ. That commitment is then shown when the person, having agreed with the statement of faith, given a testimony for for their conversion to Christ, is received into the congregation through congregational affirmation, which is the congregation saying, we believe this person is a Christian, that his or her life puts the gospel on display, that they believe in Christ, that he is their only hope in life and death, and they will follow him as their king and lord. That is what a Christian looks like. That's what the congregation says when they affirm a new member. So, if somebody is willing to go through the process of meeting with an elder, signing off in the statement of faith, agreeing with the, what the church covenant entails, and then being affirmed by like-minded brothers and sisters, and welcomed into a loving, serving community, that, that is what membership is about. Um, so what I want to do here is I want to give you four descriptions of what membership is so you can get a better idea of what we're talking about since I'm inviting you to membership. So four descriptions of what church membership is. First, if I could get this. First, membership. Membership is the effort of a local church to maintain the distinction between those who are spiritually dead and those who are spiritually alive. 
That is the theological basis for membership. It is the effort of Church of the Vine to maintain the real spiritual distinction between those who are spiritually dead and those who are spiritually alive. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and 2. A Christian, when you say a Christian, a Christian is by definition a person who's been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. Amen? We call that regeneration. You're united with Christ. Something actually happens to you. Perhaps it's imperceptible to you, although you will slowly and gradually grow in your Christ-likeness. However, there is an ontological, metaphysical, spiritual change in a person when he or she becomes a Christian. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So you're not, people who think they're free are not actually free. They're actually following the prince of the power of the air. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So, spiritually dead, following the prince of the power of the air, and children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There is a shift that takes place between, or right after verse 3. God, being rich in mercy, when we were dead, made us alive. That's the transition between being a non-Christian, someone who's not united to Christ, someone who does not yet have the Holy Spirit, to being a regenerate person, soul, who is united with Christ. So there, this passage shows that there is a definite distinction between those who are spiritually dead and spiritually alive. Those who are spiritually dead are dead by nature. Those who are spiritually alive are those whom Christ, God in Christ, has made spiritually alive, alive by grace through faith. 
Another passage I'd like to point you to is Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul is answering the question, should we sin then? If the gospel is all about grace, does this mean we can sin so that grace can abound? If God responds to sin with grace, does that mean that we're free to sin in order to get more grace? The Apostle Paul answers that ludicrous question by saying, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him, therefore, by baptism into his death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. This is the most missing, cherished category of salvation. The, the essence of salvation is that you're united to Christ. In his, you've died with him, you have raised with him, and now his biography becomes your biography. You are raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places. So, something spiritual has happened to a Christian. Something has actually changed in the structure of your soul when you become a regenerate Christian. Jesus said you must be born again. There's a, there's a new birth, there's a transformation that takes place. I want to take you to one more passage that shows this. this is John 15. It's the passage that this church is named after. Jesus speaking describes the nature of spiritual life. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. Already you are pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever, whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. They used to graft twigs into, they still do this, they graft twigs into um, other plants. And um, if you don't, if you cut off a twig from one plant and leave it on the ground, that twig is going to shrivel up and die. But if you take that twig and graft it into another plant, tie it around, what will happen is the the root is going to feed that branch life and vitality that comes from it. And that's the picture that Jesus is giving here. We're, we are a dead branch without Christ, but 
being united to Christ by faith, the life and vitality in him begins to flow through our spirits so that we are enabled to live in Christ's likeness. There's a difference between a living branch and a dead branch, according to Jesus. The living branches are those who are connected to him through faith. And that is why Christ's likeness can flow through that person. Those are the three texts I wanted to point to. Ephesians 2, from death to life. Romans 6, union with Christ. And John 15, another picture of union with Christ from being a dead branch to being grafted in to the life and vitality of the vine who is Jesus Christ. So the conclusion I'm driving at here is that the people of God are those who have been spiritually made spiritually alive through faith. They have been regenerate and there's been a change in their soul. And that is why the Apostle Paul says, for no one is a Jew who's the people of God. Who is the true Jew? The Apostle Paul says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So circumcision of the heart. Remember, we said last week, we do believe that circumcision has been replaced in the new covenant, but we do not believe it's been replaced by baptism, another outward sign. We, we believe it's been replaced by circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. So God has taken the symbol of the people of God, and from, which was an outward sign in the Abrahamic covenant, and changed it into an inward transformation, baptism signifying that transformation. All right, so what does this have to do with membership? Membership, then, is the means by which the local church collectively and formally affirms a person to be spiritually alive. Membership is the tool that a local church uses to formally affirm that a person is spiritually alive. They meet with an elder, tell them their testimony. The elder makes sure they understand the basics of the gospel and biblical doctrine. They go through an affirmation from the local congregation and they are publicly installed as a member. And they covenant with those people, and those people covenant with them to be brothers and sisters in Christ. So membership then, talking about the spiritual change that goes on in a Christian, membership is the way we affirm that change. It's us saying, this brother or sister bears the mark of salvation in their life. They bear the fruit of Christ-likeness, both in their testimony and in their life. And that's a beautiful thing, to have a congregation come alongside you and affirm you like that. And so even if you do struggle with sin, 
it's a great, I think it's a, a great affirmation if you have a local congregation saying, you know what, brother, I know that you're struggling with that, but by your testimony, your speech, your hatred of this sin, and your constant trying to defeat it through the power of the Holy Spirit, testifies to me that you are indeed a Christian, that you bear the fruits of Christ-likeness. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. So it's not, this does not go too far to say, well, I don't need people telling me whether or not they think I'm a Christian. I know I'm a Christian. No, that's not, that's not how biblical affirmation works. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. So you should be able to determine that you can't be perfect, but you sh- there is a degree to which you can determine if somebody is in step with the gospel or not. Amen? And membership affirms that a person is in step with the gospel, that they put the rule of Christ on display. So membership, it doesn't make you a citizen of the kingdom. God makes you a citizen of the kingdom. But it does, it is a great affirmation that you are a citizen of the kingdom. And so what we want to do is membership is a way we protect the purity of the church in a in one book um, mark dever writes many churches often leave the front door of membership unlatched now usually the door is left ajar out of sincere love for those who want to come in out of the cold but the password of the gospel is often not required The key of sound doctrine seldom made necessary. The verifying signs of holiness and love left unexamined and the purity of the church left open to compromise. The health of any local church hangs in part on the prior question of whether its members are spiritually alive. I think that's very profound. The health of any local church is going to be determined by whether the members of that local church are spiritually alive or spiritually dead. And membership is a way that the elders in the congregation can affirm a brother or a sister to be spiritually alive. And that is not going too far because if you can discipline somebody out of the church, you can certainly affirm somebody in the church. We're called to be salt and light, amen? A city on a hill, a distinct and peculiar people. And it is our job as a congregation to lift those brothers and sisters up that we believe are contributing to that city on a hill and saying that is what Christ-likeness looks like. It's not perfection, but it is holiness. So that's number one. Membership is the church's way to maintain the distinction between those who are spiritually alive and those who are spiritually dead. Number two, membership is an invitation to participate in the decisions of our church. We are congregationalists. We will get to this in two weeks because our structure is elder-led congregationalism. This means we believe that the ultimate authority of the church belongs with who? The Pope? 
Me? The ultimate authority of a local church, we believe, belongs with the church itself. And we derive this from the Bible. Let's go to Matthew 18. Now, we're going to touch this passage in two, uh, next week when we talk about church discipline. But... In Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus is talking about church discipline, of all things. And he says, he gives you a pattern to follow. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So don't blast him everywhere. Don't revile him on social media first. Go to him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So, in this passage, Jesus talks about going to a brother, taking others, and going to that same brother if he refuses to listen, and if he refuses to listen to the brothers with you, then take it to the church. And if he will not repent of his sin, even when brought to the church, then remove him from that visible community. Now, we will talk next week about how that's a loving thing to do. But for now, I want to ask you the question, in this passage, who is the ultimate authority? The church is the final court of appeal in this passage. Then, since the church is a final court of appeal, we have to ask the question, who is the church then? Is the church a group of people who may or may not be true disciples of Christ? I would argue that this passage presupposes an identifiable group of Christians who are committed to Christ. Right? Jesus is not just talking about the church in loose terms, like, yeah, tell it to everyone who happens to be there. And if they don't listen to them, those who may or may not be Christians, those who may or may not agree with your statement of faith, then, you know, then, ex you know, excommunicate him. No, the church must refer to those who are committed disciples of Christ. In this church, we put things to a vote, not everything to a vote, but those important issues we put to a vote. And I would I, it would be very irresponsible to put things out to a vote and have somebody who's been attending maybe for three weeks who we don't know if they're a genuine Christian. We don't know if they affirm our statement of faith. We don't know if their life is in step with the gospel be a tie-breaking vote on a major church decision, right? 
We, wanna, we want that person in the community, but we want to make sure before they are formally invited to that decision-making body that they are, in fact, a follower of Christ. So, number one, membership maintains a distinction between those who are saved, spiritually alive, and spiritually dead. Number two, membership is an invitation to participate in the decisions of the church. Number three. Let's turn your, your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Thirdly, membership is an invitation to use your gifts in this church. It's an invitation to use your gifts in this church. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is a beautiful picture of a healthy local congregation. It's a picture of a church where the people are using their gift to build up the body. And that's a beautiful thing. And I know, I know you have gifts and passions and talents, and I want you to be able to use those to build up the ministry we have here. However, if a person is going to function in, a, in an official capacity in our church and in any local church, we should ensure that they have placed faith in Christ. We should ensure that they are in agreement with what we believe and that their life is in line with the gospel. I don't want somebody coming in who doesn't necessarily believe the word of God exhorting me. I don't want somebody coming in who doesn't believe that Jesus is the revelation of the Father teaching me. I don't want somebody coming in who does not believe that Christ is coming again prophesying to me. Right? I want to make sure that the people that are using their gifts in this church are using their gifts in such a way where they are in alignment with biblically derived truths that are reflected in our statement of faith. Amen? So, membership is an invitation for you to use your gifts in this congregation. And we have great gifts in this congregation. And I, I want them all to be used. But in order for us to do this faithfully, we need to make sure we clearly define who are spiritually alive and those 
and make that distinction between the church and the world. Um, next and last, membership is an invitation to lock arms with people and forge a brotherhood. There's a problem today in, in a lot of churches, a lot of churchgoers have a consumeristic mindset. I've talked about this before. But it's, it's going, hopping from church to church to church, looking for the right music, looking for the right kind of people, maybe looking for an encouraging talk. And there's nothing wrong in visiting different churches so that you can commit to one wisely, obviously. But there's a consumerism that, that has plagued the Christian church for a long time. That you're, you're almost looking which church you're going to put your money into. And that is not the way community is found. C.S. Lewis uh, in Screwtape Letters, which, I've, which I quote a lot, but Screwtape Letters where the chief demon is giving advice to an underling demon on how to lead astray a Christian the chief demon says to this underling demon, Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster and connoisseur of churches. The search for a suitable church makes the man a critic where the enemy wants him to be a pupil. I think that is exceedingly true today and I think this was written in the 50s but we get to pick and choose rather than commit to a community who's going to hurt us rather than commit to a community that we need to endure with and love I, I believe that Christian community is not something that's mainly found it's mainly something that's forged through the long haul. If you never commit to a body, really commit to a body for a long haul. It doesn't have to be this church. I'm talking about the principle of committing to a body. But if you never commit to a body for the long haul, you're never going to have the opportunity to exercise Christian love. What is love? 1 Corinthians 14, 13. Love is patient. Now, if you leave a church at the first drop of having to endure with somebody, you're never going to have the opportunity to exercise patience. We are required to forgive. And if you leave at the drop of somebody offending you, you will never have the opportunity to reconcile face-to-face -face with a brother or sister. And so you have people being offended left and right, leaving churches, consumers looking for the right things, never having to strive with brothers and sisters, never having to be exercise patience. <coughs> Forgive as Christ forgave. 
reconciliation face to face. That's not how you find community because community is not found. It's forged through long years of enduring with and serving with and uniting with the same people. That is how all those attributes of love, those qualities of love, are relational. Love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, is not proud. If you don't have other people in your life, you're not going to need, you're not going to have the opportunity to love the way the Bible is calling you to love. So, membership is an invitation to lock arms with people and forge a brotherhood. Peter calls it the brotherhood. And so it's not just the people who are going to church with, who happen to be in our congregation. It should be a family-like brotherhood. We should we should want to die for one another. The strength of membership over time should be forged to that degree. So I think brotherhood is forged in the fire of long, consistent obedience in the same direction. There's a book, I think, um, I forget who wrote it, but Eugene Peterson. The title is Long Obedience in the Same Direction. What a missing virtue that is today, both personally and corporately in churches. Long obedience in the same direction. That's the kind of person I want to learn from, who's been obedient in the, obedient in the same direction for a long time. So, a lot more could be said about membership, um, but those four things are very important. Membership is an effort, is our effort to maintain the distinction between those who are spiritually dead and spiritually alive. Someone is not necessarily a Christian because they walk in the door. Someone is a Christian if they are truly united to Christ by faith and they produce the fruits of Christ-likeness. The members can affirm a brother or a sister giving great assurance that they stand in the stream of faith. Membership is an invitation to participate in the decisions of the church. We are elder-led congregational. That means not elder rule congregational, elder-led congregational. That means the ultimate authority lies with the corporate body. And we would do well, therefore, to make sure that the body is comprised of Christians. Third, membership is an invitation to use your gifts in the church. If we're going to allow someone to use their gifts in the church, it would be very wise to make sure that that person is a follower of Jesus. Lastly, membership is an invitation to lock arms with people, be offended, forgive, endure with, be patient with, see the church strengthen sit under the preaching and teaching for a long time, contribute to the work with the gifts that God has give you, given you, and form a brotherhood that way. That is a beautiful picture to me. That's Acts 2.41 and 2. And they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the breaking of bread, 
and to the prayers and to the fellowship. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. I want this church, if the Lord should allow it to survive and thrive, this church should be a place where children grow up and they attend our funerals and they remember our faith and we pass down faithfulness to the next generation and we establish a work that is can survive us where children are raised up where people are married and covenanting with one another under God to raise their children in the fear and instruction of the Lord I see a devoted community of faith and fire for the Lord So the we in this church, if we are to move forward faithfully, the we in this church are not going to be people who happen to be here, but people who are committed to be here. That defines the we of Church of the Vine. So in closing, I want to read you what our church covenant says, because every member is asked to sign this church covenant and to live by it as members of this church. Here's what our church covenant says. Having been led, as we believe by the Holy Spirit, to repent of our sins and receive as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose blood and righteousness alone we trust is the grounds of our redemption, and having been buried with him in baptism unto the likeness of his death, and raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk in the newness of life, we do now solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another. We will devote ourselves to the word of God, to the faithful reading, meditation, and study of scripture, to maintain personal and family devotions, to raise our children and those under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, cultivating a Christian atmosphere in our homes. We will devote ourselves to this fellowship, to remember one another in prayer, to comfort one another in sickness and distress, to be slow to take offense and ready for reconciliation. We endeavor to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, giving our time, our talents, and our treasures to meet the needs of one another, to serve alongside one another cooperating to see each one of us conformed to the image of Christ and to see disciples made of the lost and dying world. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but will regularly gather for worship, for instruction in the word, for prayer, for the Lord's Supper, and for fellowship, stirring one another to good works, giving graciously and joyfully of our substance, as the Lord prospers us for the support of the ministry among us. And if we are called away from this fellowship, we will join ourselves to another local body of Christian believers of like faith and practice. We will devote ourselves to prayer, praising the Lord, asking that his will be done, confessing our sins, giving thanks for his blessings, and making supplication for our personal and collective needs both privately and together. We will pray 
for the ministry of our church, for the advancement of the gospel, and for the glory of God. We will endeavor to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, holding forth a good testimony, desiring the triumph of Christ above all earthly good. We covenant that by the help of the Holy Spirit, we will seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, trusting that he shall supply all our needs as we joyfully wait for his return in glory. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only wise God, be glory and majesty and power and dominion now, before all time, and forevermore. Amen and amen. If anyone would like special prayer, I'd love to pray with you. God bless you.